Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint seeking to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that you will allow me to join in your gospel dialogue. With that introduction, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family, and friends, this is episode 43, following along with O God, Where Art Thou? Doctrine and Covenants, sections 121 to 123. And before we get into this discussion, I want to tell you something that happened at church today because it was kind of interesting. So uh, we were talking about the lesson from last week, uh, section 115 to 120. The teacher was talking about sacrifice and the sacrifices we make and stuff, trying to spur discussion and um, it didn't really feel like anything was coming of it. And I was thinking in my own head about sacrifice and, and something occurred to me and I thought I should share, but I kind of, I'm always hesitant to share things. Um, but I was like, well, oh, maybe it'll, it'll help the discussion or, or spur something. So I went ahead and shared, and this is what it was that I believe it's section 118, uh, talking about the, the commandment given to Newell K. Whitney and William Marks to sell their belongings and then move from Kirtland, Ohio. Right. And, and the point I made was that, so they made this sacrifice uh, same commandment given to two men, uh, both keep it. And then down the line, though, during the succession crisis um, of the church after Joseph Smith was martyred, Newell K. Whitney followed Brigham Young and went to Utah, died a faithful member. William Marks followed Sidney Rigdon. Um, so his li- life led him elsewhere. Essentially, you could say that he fell out of the, the church, or at least the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as we know it now, uh, followed. So then I I believe it was the RLDS church then that he followed. So my question that I brought up was that these two men made a sacrifice that would have been difficult to sell. You know, if you were asked today to sell your home and and leave, go somewhere else, that would have been be be incredibly difficult. So they made this, uh, this sacrifice, but then the question is, what is it, what is it counted for the, to them on, on the other side, given the fact that one remained faithful and the other, uh, to my knowledge, did not. And that's kind of the question I had is like with us, with the things we, we, we follow the commandment, we keep the commandments in our life and we're uh, doing good things. We make sacrifices and we, we try to change and all that. But what if tomorrow you decide that you are done, um, that you don't think the church is true? So then what, what does that counter for you on the other side? Uh, what does that mean for your life? All this thing. That's the question I had. Um, that kind of went around. I think like it felt like it kind of moved on and then actually came back. The teacher said, Dalton, what do you think? Uh, to which I said, well, this isn't maybe a great example to use, but it's kind of how I'm thinking about it right now. The lens I'm seeing it through is that life is like a race. We are trying to win the race or return to heavenly father. And if at any point I just stop running the race, if I quit and I'm done, um, then I will never cross the finish line, which means that everything I ran up to that point was kind of pointless in my mind. And so I said, not that I think that's a perfect illustration, but that is kind of a lens that I'm seeing it through, to which then <laughs> spurred this uh, this comment from someone who, who did not like that example at all and said that uh, essentially if if not running the race or stop stop running it is like leaving the church, that there are great people who... Uh, this this individual knew who are significantly better, even though they've left the church, they are significantly better than those who have temple recommends who are, you know, mean to their families or don't keep 
other commandments per se, but hey, they're allowed to say they keep a temple recommend, whatever. And so the, the point was like, you can't judge someone just because of whether they're in or out of the church, which actually wasn't my point at all, but I understood where they took that. Um, to me, it kind of missed the mark anyway, because does it like, I guess that's the point, right? If, if you can say you have a temple recommend, but you're really not a good person, meaning that you're, you know, cruel to your spouse or your loved ones, your kids, um, you don't show Christ-like love to anyone. Um, you don't make those real changes. So yeah, you might keep the the commandments in order to be able to receive a temple recommend. Um, but then you don't let the gospel transform you. Uh, you know, it's I, I don't think that's the point. It's not the benchmark of have a temple recommend. I don't think that's the point at all. I think it's that in running this race, which again, I don't love the uh, example in my head. It's just how I can picture it best, I suppose. But isn't the point to, uh, I mean, enduring to the end is a commandment. And it, to me, it's not about the events in our life that we're living. It's not about these uh, single one-off sacrifices, right? These sacrifices, these big, these big events or little events are supposed to be making us into the person. They're supposed to be transforming us into who God wants us to be. And so we might, you know, have great transformation at one point, but then if later down the road we have, uh, we transform against God or, or away from God, then isn't that, isn't that the point? Like, isn't that showing us, I guess, where our heart truly is? Um, isn't the whole point of this life to be, be willing to be completely transformed by Christ through the atonement and become a new person. And so, yeah, we, we could do super well, you know, in the race, quote unquote, the race in the beginning, but if we don't finish well, that's no good. And then of course, if we never even begin the race to begin with, or if we, you know, we can stumble along the way, it's not about how your performance is along the way, as long as you just keep going, um, and moving towards the finish line, in which case you can be transformed into a person who could finish the race. So I don't know, again, lots of thoughts there, but it was funny that, that uh, there I was sitting in, in my chair thinking, ah, oh, I don't want to spur discussion. And boy, did it spur discussion. Let me tell you, I don't know if they'll ever let me make a comment again in church. So with that, let's, uh, let's get into this. Uh, in the beginning, is it the, uh, actually, nope. I'm going to read the top part first because, as always, there's stuff that sticks out that I love. So it says, your experience studying the scriptures will be richer if your goal is to uncover truth. And isn't, like, is that not always our goal? Should, shouldn't should that be our goal every time? I don't know why you're reading. That is my my goal is all the time to, that I'm trying to learn truth and change and, and all of that. I guess it could be possible to be studying the scriptures another way. Um, but it's a great point. Our goal should be to repent, to change, to have the Holy Ghost to be with us. That should be the reason. It shouldn't be to justify the way we're living our life or to be able to, um, I, I mean, I guess I have heard of people who read the scriptures with the in, intended purpose to <laughs> combat others uh, with the scriptures. So I guess that's not, a, that's not a great way. Really, yeah, we should be studying to change. I know that's certainly what I'm trying to do. Um, I have a million and a half things I need to be changing. So I, I don't have time to mess around with the other stuff, I guess. Um, but anyway... So, the bottom level of the county jail in Liberty, Missouri was known as the dungeon. 
The walls were thick, the stone floor was cold and filthy, the food, what there was of it, was rotten, and the only light came from two narrow iron-barred windows near the ceiling. This dungeon is where Joseph Smith and a few of his brethren spent most of their imprisonment, four frigid months during the winter of 1838-39, awaiting trial for charges of treason against the state of Missouri. During this time, Joseph was, con was constantly receiving news about the suffering of the saints. The peace and optimism of Far West had lasted only a few months, and now the saints were homeless once again driven into the wilderness in search of yet another place to start over, this time with their prophet in prison. No wonder Joseph cried out, O God, where art thou? The answers he received, the knowledge from heaven that came pouring down in that miserable jail, demonstrate that although it may not always feel like it, God is never far away. No power can stay the heavens, the prophet learned. God shall be with his faithful saints forever and ever. And, uh, I think we always need to remember that. I know I certainly do. This week was a tough week. I'll be honest. This was a tougher week. Um, physically, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I wasn't sick, but I just felt just completely exhausted every single day. I just felt like I have zero energy. Maybe it's because, you know, it's gotten colder. Uh, it was very rapid onset of cold. I was wearing shorts on Monday and forced forced to wear pants by Wednesday or Thursday. Um, it just... <laughs> I know, I know the temperature changes always makes me upset. Um, and I actually like the cold. I just don't like the, uh, the the rapid transition, especially in the state of Utah. But uh, anyway, it was a tougher week. So I, I think it's a great point to remember that, that it, it doesn't always feel like it. But God is never far away. And it's it's on us. It's on us to be able to bring ourselves to him because he is close. And we just need to to, uh, to put ourselves in the right spot to be able to hear him. He's trying to talk to us. And so... Um, that's what I have to keep in mind. But in the, this, it says within the walls of Liberty Jail, Revelations and Context, I, I didn't know that they, you know, had to escape from prison or essentially were given an opportunity to escape. Um, I'm sure at some point in time through my life, I've, I've heard the story, but, uh, but I didn't, if you were to ask me how they got out, like, I guess I've never thought, I, I've never, I did not have the answer ready is what I'm getting at. So it's very interesting that they were kept there for four, four to five months or, or however long. And ultimately, um, the guards, I guess, on, on a travel or something, anyway, gave they turned their backs, right? So they were able to run away. Um, that was very interesting to me. In the first section, adversity can be for my good. Uh, when we or those we love are in the midst of suffering, it is normal. And I highlighted it, underlined it. All this because, remember this, it is normal to wonder if God is aware of us. Um, I know I've certainly had those times in my life m multiple times. I, I I, really wish I could say that it won't happen continually in my life, but it will. Um, because that's the progression of faith. Uh, as you read Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, think about times when you have had questions or feelings similar to Joseph Smith's. What do you find in the Lord's response that might help you when you have those questions or feelings? And then uh, at the last it says, as you read section 122, consider how the Lord wants you to view your adversities. This is obviously a really big point in this section. Um, this lesson really does kind of speak for itself, honestly. Of course, there are things I'm going to talk about, but um, I just, I mean, so many of the scriptures from 121, 122, and 123 stood out that it was just tough to select kind of where the point was for me. And so because of that, we're going to do it in kind of chunks of, of where I found the reading. So the first one is 121, uh, 7, 8, and 10. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thy adversity, and this is the first verse with a response to Joseph Smith. 
My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. Uh, stopping there, I just want to say that God gives us perspective. Um, his answer is giving this perspective that, you know, peace be to your soul. This is going to be for a small moment. Now, four months is not a small moment to me. That's a long time to be in prison with terrible conditions. I mean, he's freezing, poor food. That alone would have done me and I would have been like, I'm sorry, guys, I can't do this. Uh, I, I cannot eat moldy food or no food. Um, just <laughs> put me in the corner, corner and, and you can eat the lean parts of me. Uh, but just giving us perspective. And I think that is where we're praying in our trials and adversity can help us. Like the Holy Ghost will give us that perspective. It doesn't mean it takes it away. I know my trials have not, almost all of them have not been taken away, but I have received perspective that does help me in verse eight. And then if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Uh, this stirs the answer to me that there is a proper way to suffer, right? Like philosophically, there must be a way to suffer that is considered good. And uh, we've got to learn it if we're to receive this blessing. Again, it says, if thou endure it well, meaning therefore it should be possible to endure something well or our trials well, then God will exalt thee on high and we will triumph over all, all our foes. Um, and, and again, that's a blessing I would like. And then in verse 10, thou art not yet as Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression as they did Job. Uh, first, not yet. Thou art not yet as Job. To me, that's a foreshadow of his life. Obviously, um, he would be betrayed by his friends. Uh, they would turn on him. But technically, during this time, actually, that was happening. Uh, his friends were turning on him. Uh, but obviously, many friends still stood with him. Versus, uh, in a couple of years, obviously, when we get to the Carthage uh, martyrdom, there were friends who had turned on him or who actually asked him to turn himself in, to give himself over so that they could stop suffering kind of thing. Um, so I, I think an insight is that some of our greatest suffering actually comes at the hands of our friends and family. Uh, when our friends and family don't stand with us, that is one of the most painful things we can go through. At least it was for Job. His friends obviously said that they, I mean, they counted what he was going through as something he must have done. They didn't trust him. They turned on him in that way. And they were like, just repent, repent for whatever it is you've done. Right. And he was like, I'm telling you, there's nothing I've done. And they kept. So I think the lesson here is be a good friend, be a good family member. You know, um, it, it doesn't mean just believe everything that your family and friends say, obviously either. I, I think, but again, if you, if you know someone, their character to be good, then you got to trust that even if it doesn't seem, uh, like that, right. If it seems like they're being cursed, um, Anyway, invert, and then now next chunk is in uh, 121, 23, 25, 26, 28, and 33. So this is a bigger chunk, but again, woe unto all those that discomfort my people and drive and murder and testify against them, saith the Lord of hosts. A generation of vipers shall not escape the damnation of hell. Um, you know, people should be nice to us as saints, I, I, not just because we're saints, but obviously if, if you're a good person, then it shouldn't be just the fact that because you're a Latter-day Saint, you must be a terrible person. I know I've experienced that persecution in my life um, in in Utah even, right? And and obviously it's a majority of saints still in Utah. Um, but I have had it where it's just simply because I'm a Latter-day Saint, people have not been, been kind to me because of that fact. 
But with that, we also do need to form alliances. It's also on us to be able to reach out, to extend all branches, um, to not be closed off to other people just because they're not of our faith. Uh, this I was, again, addressed multiple times in general conference. Um, I think we do ourselves a great disservice by only joining hands with those of our faith. It's, it's, it, we're doing a disservice for our children. We're doing a disservice for uh, the church as a whole, honestly. But, but mostly there, I have some of my greatest relationships are with those not of our faith, and I don't think they ever will be, and that's perfectly fine. They respect me, and I respect them, and uh, the love I have for them, it knows no bounds because of their religion. Uh, so I think that's a great lesson for all of us. And then in 25, it says, for there is a time appointed for every man according as his work shall be. And this, to me, makes it sound like there's a moment, uh, or like they, at the moment of our death, those are the works we'll be judged on. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it's obviously a whole collection of our life. But where it says there's a time appointed for every man according as his works shall be. Uh, I don't know. It just makes me nervous that it's like, let's say you did everything right, but then uh, you started to falter the final points of your life and then you die. And and the point I'm making here is just do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. Um, to me, this makes me just want to repent even harder every single day to change, to actually change and, and really work at it because I don't know how many days I have. I, I think I'm going to live a long, long life, but I also don't know. Um, life is short. Life is sweet and precious, uh, but it's also the time to prepare to meet God. And so I don't want to procrastinate. My What I take away is don't procrastinate. Verse 26, God shall give unto you the knowledge by his Holy Spirit, yea, by the unspeakable, unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost that has not been revealed since the world was until now. And this gift that's being spoken of, it comes by living a pure and uh, humble, or well, it comes by living a pure and holy life and then humbly going before the seat of Christ. Like that's the pattern. And, and that's been repeated time and time again. And then verse 28, it says, a time to come in which nothing shall be withheld, whether there be one God or many gods. I'm going to point that in the verse. It says, God, capital G, or many gods, lowercase g, I think that's interesting, they shall be manifest. The greatest uh, question and answer, answer session ever. That's how I'm defining what this scripture is talking about. Like this, when this event occurs, it will be the greatest time for question and answers. Um, and I'm just excited for that because as someone, as a, as a person who loves knowledge, big Q and A's with, uh, with heavenly father, Jesus Christ, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> And then in verse 33, how long can rolling waters remain impure? Which is, I actually have a genuine question. How long, uh, scientifically, how long can impure <laughs> rolling waters remain impure? Uh, what power shall stay the heavens? As well might man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course or to turn it upstream as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge from heaven upon the heads of, of the Latter-day Saints. And uh, that's, that scripture really does speak for itself that our power is nothing compared to God's power. We can do nothing without God. And that should give us great faith, not uh, not a, a lack of hope, honestly. And so if I were to summarize this uh, this whole this whole section, this first section of adversity can be for my good, it can. And I know in my life, the big thing is learning how to endure adversity, but not just endure it, but to learn from it, to overcome it. Uh, I think the biggest lessons we can really learn is that um, in this whole thing, in this whole back and forth with God, where, where Joseph Smith is like, I mean, 
no one could say that he's not going through a ton, right? And I don't even think it's from what he personally was going through. I think actually the, the worst feeling for him was the fact that the Saints themselves were going through tremendous tremendously hard things at the end of this uh come follow me and i'm not actually going to read it but i'll bring it up here it talks about the letter of joseph uh, emma emma to joseph and then joseph's response to emma and those situations and i cannot imagine being separated from from lex from flynn from maggie and from sky that uh and especially if it was in horrible conditions even if i was in the worst conditions knowing that they were also suffering would just be tremendous burden to my soul it'd be horrible and so I really think that the greatest trial he was going through was his thoughts, thinking about the saints and how he could not be there to help them. He would love to suffer uh, with them and, and not want to be just, not that he was comfortable in a jail cell because he, he obviously wasn't, but, uh, but Joseph's character was definitely one that he would prefer to suffer with the saints and not separated from them. Um, even if, you know, you could say that his trials were harder, uh, he wanted to be with the saints. And so I think it's interesting that even in his, even in the worst of suffering, like God's response is thou art not yet as Job. Um, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. But, but there's lessons for us in this interaction, which is that God does expect us. He, he expects great things of us and he knows that we can rise to the occasion. So when our families expect great things, don't be upset that it feels like, why? well, just listen to me, right? Because I, 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 we've all had that. We just need a listening ear, honestly, through most of our trials. But also, when people do give us advice, don't just get upset and be like, you're just not listening. Uh, take that as a challenge of how you can repent. Um, and it's hard. I, I've been through it, and I go through it time and time again. And it's hard, but it's it's the best thing you can do to... Uh, to grow faster, honestly. So in the second section, we can access the powers of heaven. Uh, same thing. So first I'll read, it says, in what seemed like a powerless condition in Liberty Jail, Joseph was given revelation about power, not the political or military power that has been extended over the saints, but the powers of heaven. As you read Doctrine and Covenants section 121, what do you learn about God's power? How is it different from worldly power? For example, look at the words the Lord used in verses 41 to 43 to describe the power or influence. Uh, what do they teach about uh, how God maintains his power or influence, perhaps these verses could inspire you to ponder your life and what you can do to be an influence for good in your relationship with others. It is my testimony that section 121, this, this what we're talking about right here, if you read this over and over again, this right here is truly the key to understanding um, how God received his power, how he maintains his power. And honestly, I think power is just the wrong word. Uh, it, because of us, not because of, like, it's the right word for God. But I think when we think of power, it's almost like dominion, and that is not what God's power is. It is uh, it, it is a holy influence, really. And so, as I've been pondering this and stuff, I think I will go back and back and back to this. This is like the greatest TED Talk on leadership and influence. Um, I believe within this are keys to unlocking how we become gods one day. Which maybe that just sounds obvious, but I, I mean, like, like there are deep, deep things within this. And so let's talk about some of them. Um, okay, so 35, 36, 37, 38, 39 will be the first chunk. Because their hearts are set, are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men that they do not learn this one lesson. Um, a big takeaway just from right there is to get our things, get our heart off the things of the world. If we are to truly understand this 
if we're to understand this lesson he's trying to teach us, then we have to get our, our heart off of worldly things. 36, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. The priesthood can only be used in accordance with the laws of heaven. It cannot be used unrighteously. Fun fact, unrighteously apparently is a spell-checked word that that it, apparently it's not a real word. I don't know if that's true, but it's spell-checking me constantly every time I wrote unrighteously. Um, there are so many misunderstandings when it comes to the priesthood, and you hear these horror stories, right, of people like, of, of young men, or, or old men for that matter, trying to use their priesthood uh, to command their families or, or other people to do what they want. That is, that is not the priesthood. It's, it's just not, and, and uh, there are severe consequences for that type of action. But uh, again, there can be no power in that type of um, abusive approach of the priesthood because that's, that's not how it works, and we'll learn more. In 37, that they may be conferred upon us, it is true. But when we undertake to cover our sins or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness. Behold, the heavens withdraw themselves. The Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, uh, when it is withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. And and again, how often do we see these types of behaviors of people just misunderstanding the priesthood? But no. So if, if, if uh, I know there's people who have had traumatic things happen in their life, with priesthood authority and it just breaks my heart because it's a misunderstanding on both sides. The per, like if I see something like that, I already know my testimony is very strong that that is an uh, inappropriate use of the priesthood for, for anyone who's trying to compel someone to do something, um, trying to force somebody or, or using any sort of priesthood authority. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's not a laughing matter. There's no joke to it, you know? But also I, the damage that's done on people's testimonies who, again, I think that's where the movement like women in the priesthood came from was this misunderstanding of the priesthood. It is not some power that uh, men have over women. It's not at all. Um, I think the best example, the best illustration I can use is that the priesthood really is this um, it's this equalizer. And and this will sound funny. I think if, 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 if you haven't thought of it this way, but... Uh, what do we know from birth that women have that that men do not? And it is the God-given, God-given power to create life within themselves. Uh, I cannot create a baby within myself. Now, of course, yes, a, a woman needs a man for that, right? But uh, I just went through the last 10 months with Lex, who literally created a human child within her. I do not have any any ability to do that. I could not try to do that. No matter what uh, what they try try to say within, uh, apparently science has changed that apparently men can have babies. It's not, it's not true and that's blasphemous. And uh, not only that, now that we have Sky, um, I cannot feed Sky with my body. I cannot, uh, not, not only can I not feed her, but, but the milk that Lex's body is able to produce has all of the nutrients she needs to develop into a, a human toddler, which, I mean, this, this, this should be just mind-blowing, right? Um, women are born with this. When when are men able to receive <laughs> the priesthood? Uh, 
uh, 12, they can receive the erotic priesthood at the age of 12, or I guess 11 now, if it's the year they're turning 12, they've changed that a little bit. Um, but then the Melchizedek priesthood, right? So, so it's this, this development path. It's not like all of a sudden it's this great power that you have the priesthood. Now I have the power to be able to, that's not how it works at all. Um, the priesthood is God's power and there are priesthood keys that God has delegated to men, but I would also say there are priesthood keys that God has delegated to women and, uh, women naturally have those keys from birth. Men, we just have to prove ourselves a little bit more. And to me, it's a great equalizer. The fact that I am able to help bless my family because my wife naturally blesses my family. I have to <laughs> like be worthy to be able to give them priesthood blessings right? It's to help men step up, whereas women just naturally already do. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. I could go, I could go off on it, but I, I do think there's this great misunderstanding if we think that it's a men versus women thing. It's not. This is a, this is a team effort, whereas the men have to just prove themselves and step up, and then we're able to essentially find ourselves useful in the whole situation, whereas women are just naturally useful from birth. And um, I think it shows the trust that God has in women. And then the, the trust that men need to prove and, and to be able to learn so that God's able to, uh, to bless them. But we, we're in this together. So it's a, a gross misunderstanding when it's a uh, men versus women thing because that's, that's not what it is at all. It's a delegated power and, and, and responsibility and authority thing, but it is not a one over the other at all. And if anything, again, I think the scales are a little are tipped uh, far more in women's favor because, uh, again, you can grow a child. Um, okay. I've lost, I've lost my spot. Uh, 38 behold, ere is you, ere he is aware he is left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints and to fight against God. And, uh, it said that we're often not aware of our own condition, but in 39, we have, we have learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of all men, almost all men. As soon as they get a little authority, as they suppose, they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. I have seen this in my own experience. It's ironic on the mission when someone would go district leader, which that's first of all, not even a calling. It's a, it's an assignment. And uh, essentially like the same as a ministering assignment as far as like authority level goes. But the moment someone go district leader, it would be like, oh, now you, now you answer to me. Right. And it's, I mean, not to, obviously the organizational system is great, but, uh, it's just funny that I've, I've seen it in my life. People, they get these callings and all of a sudden it's like, I have the power. And it's like, that's a terrible misunderstanding of why you're there. Uh, callings, leadership is all to serve. That God taught that multiple times. Uh, when the apostles asked who's the greatest among him, he said, he who is least among you will be greatest. And so that's the real leadership lesson from God and, and the, the, the priesthood, obviously. Uh, so, that, okay, those are my thoughts there. Now, the next chunk is 41 to 46. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile, reproving betimes with sharpness, when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love towards him, um, whom thou hast reproved, lest he esteem thee to be his enemy, that he may know that thy faithfulness is stronger than the cords of death. That, that right there, 
41 to 44, best TED Talk on leadership ever. This is how we should be parenting. This is how we should be leading. This is how we should be treat, uh, acting in, our, in companies and our relationships with our friends. Everything, every relationship should be, ba- we should be basing it off on these principles. Um, I know I try to do this with my kids. There are times where we have to be disciplined with our children, especially, I mean, how else are they supposed to grow? You cannot just be friends. Far too often I see, uh, I see people with their children and they just treat them like, like the children are the masters. And I'm like, what are you doing? You were a parent for a reason. It is not to be your ch- your children's friend. That's not why you're here. That's not why they were sent to you. God entrusted you with them. Not to because to be best friends, but to parent them, to lead them in the way of the Lord. And it is not to, to cower to them. It's not about, well, I don't want to yell or anything. It's not, you don't need to yell. Now, that, that sometimes can be my approach. And I'm not saying that's a good approach. Again, repenting, always changing. But I think the point is that that it is your duty as a parent. It is your God-given duty as a parent to lead your child and let them know, teach them how to be a responsible person before the Lord because that will be on your head. And again, with any time that we have any sort of uh, that type of duty to someone else, then we need to be able to step up and do that duty. Um. And so there are those times, obviously, where I've had to reprove my children. It happens almost daily. But when, uh, and typically it's a timeout, but the moment timeout's over, I go in and I give them, uh, I, I ask them, I'm like, are you ready to come out of timeout? And they'll typically say yes, because kids hate, hate being in timeout. And then I'll ask them first to talk to me about whatever the behavior was that was I found inappropriate or that they were doing. And we'll talk about it to explain further why it was inappropriate and, and try and create change. And then when it's all said and done, I give them the biggest hug I possibly can. And I let them know I love them. Um, and that I believe that they can just be as great as I believe they are. And and I, I almost do that almost every time. Not every, I won't say all the time, but almost every time. And I think that's one of the most important steps um, in those types of conversations. And it's, this goes back to what it's talking about in 44 is that that he may know that thy faithfulness is stronger than the cords of death. And I want my children to know that I love them more than anything. And that anytime they need to be disciplined, um, it's not because I just want to punish them because I just enjoy being all powerful and, and I'm the big parent, they're the little kid. It's it's that I see these behaviors and I know the dangers of them because I've seen it in myself. And, uh, and I want them to be so much better than me. That's what I want for my kids is that they are better than me. And so I, I need them to know that and not just be because I'm the parent because I say so, but it's because I love you and I see things that you don't see yet, but you will, but you just got to trust me. Um, and then I've got to obviously prove to them that I really do love them because you can't just say you love them. You have to prove it. And 45 and 46, let thy bowels be uh, also be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy souls as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion, and thy scepter an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion, and without compulsory means, it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. And this right here is how we maintain the companionship of the Holy Ghost. This is how we know that the Holy Ghost is to be with us always. And and notice how it says without compulsory means. This is how God governs us. He doesn't need to... uh, compel us like he doesn't force us to do anything obviously again going back to the parent analogy which that i didn't get that from nowhere that's what god does with us 
That's why he gives us commandments. No, we don't always understand the commandments. Sometimes, yeah, it seems like it's a weird thing. People question the word of wisdom. Why? Why? Why the the single piercing thing that the prophet said years ago? Does it even count now? Well, yes, it does, uh, because it's in the for strength of use, which, to my knowledge, is still used over the pulpit to this day by multiple witnesses. So, I don't understand. I don't understand those things. But I sure as heck know that it doesn't matter because God will teach me. He will distill these truths upon me if I remain faithful and righteous. And that should be the point. In my opinion, that should be the point. It shouldn't be about I need to know before I do. It should be I trust that he will tell me. And and just as a good parent does, he'll, he'll wait until I'm ready to, to understand. And then when I understand, I'll be able to apply it even further than I already am by just following all right, in section three, it says, Jesus Christ has descended below all things. Joseph Smith had been unjustly in prison for over four months while his friends and family were driven from their home. The work he had dedicated his life to appeared to be in ruins. What do you learn about Jesus Christ from his words to Joseph Smith in section 122? Uh, verse seven, it says, And if thou should be cast into the pit or into the hands of murderers and sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape, uh, shall gape open thy the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. My uh, mission president said something to me once. I, you know, I asked him a question about something that happened before the mission in a relationship I had, and I, I just asked. I said, you know, things didn't go the way I wanted, President. Did I make a mistake? Did I, was there something I just misunderstood back then? And he said, Elder Anderson, if if you have learned something, if you have gained wisdom, then and and you're you know you didn't make sacrifice of integrity or anything like that and you're a better person for it, even if it turn, didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, then I can tell you that you didn't make a mistake. And that has helped me through so many things, through uh, when I felt like I picked the wrong major at college, from graduating and not knowing what I wanted to do, from entering into the career field and having no idea from all these things. Uh, every time it feels like I'm like, I just wasted so much time, did I make a mistake? As long as I gained wisdom and I didn't make a, a sin of integrity or anything like that, then it has never been a waste of time. And it, it has always been for, for my good. And so um, I pass that along to you as well. If there's anything in your life that you're concerned about, as long as it's not a sin of integrity and you've gained wisdom from it, then I can promise just keep moving forward um, and it will be counted for your good. And here Joseph was going through the toughest trial, one of the toughest trials, probably the toughest trial up to this point in his life, and God's telling him it's for his good. So, um, you know, imagine that it's not a great pep talk, but also the peace that Joseph probably felt to that is just, I mean, it's unparalleled because it was coming from God. And just knowing that he was approved from God, I know for me, just if I know that I'm approved by God, that is that is more than all the trials I could possibly go through. Knowing that I'm where I'm supposed to be, and that God loves me and that he's proud of me, that's a peace that you can't buy. You can't buy that peace. And um, and that's I think that's the point, right? Is no matter what's going on in the world, as long as we can stand approved before God, we will receive that peace. And then in verse 8, it says, The Son of Man that has descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? And this is a question we need to always ask ourselves in our own grief um, to keep us humble. That's, that's what the question's there for. It's not a slap down or anything like that. It's just to remind us, to keep us, keep things in perspective, going back. 
And then verse 9, therefore hold on thy way, and the priests shall remain with thee, for their bounds are set. They cannot pass. Thy days are known, and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore, fear not what man can do, for God shall be with you forever and ever. And that is something we need to remember. This is for us. Fear not what others can do to us. Um, and, and wake up with that every single day. I'm going to skip the last one, the uh, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And instead, I'm just going to say, um, I'm going to sum it up by essentially God does expect us to do our due diligence. And that that's faith. Faith is a, a marriage of belief and hope and action is, is doing all those things. So we need to, to move forward, moving mountains, pushing against the mountain as hard as we can, um, believing that we can and praying that God helps us knowing that even if our actions feel like it's doing nothing, it is proving to God that we are indeed willing and ready to receive whatever miracle we are seeking. So don't feel like the, the things in your day, day in, day out that just feel useless and, and aren't moving your mountains forward. Know that it's a, it's not necessarily about what our actions are doing. I mean, sometimes it is for sure, but for the most part, it's actually just proving ourselves to God and letting him know that we are ready for his power. Because again, we can do nothing. He can do everything. But there is a uh, there is a law attached that requires faith. And our faith needs to just be us proving it more often than not. There were three scriptures that, that didn't really fit into the lesson. I'm going to cover those real quick and then and then I'll I'll be done. In verse one or uh, section one twenty one, they actually all of these are in section one twenty one. But verse thirteen, it says also because their hearts are corrupted in the things which they are willing to bring up upon others, and love to have others suffer may come upon themselves to the very uh, to the very uttermost. This is talking about what would happen to the uh, dissenting groups, not not within the saints, but uh, but those outwards, and that's karma. So beware, really, to what I'm getting at is just beware of what you're putting out there. If you're putting negativity out there talking ill of others. Um, and I've certainly been known to do that myself, so I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, believe me. But it's a good reminder for myself, good reminder for everyone. Just be careful what you put out there because it really does come back um, to get you. I've, I've literally had that happen where I've said something about someone else and then I'm going through the very same trial uh, myself. So it's a great lesson just to be careful. Verse 17, but those who cry transgression do it because they are the servants of sin and are the children of disobedience themselves. And uh, I think we're seeing that in the world right now, honestly. Um, we're, we're seeing it in things like cancel culture or social media mobs. Um, the servants are sin of sin are all around us. And so we need to be wise, not only in what we're putting out there, um, but also how we're, how we're holding ourselves up and also keeping ourselves within the standards of the church, uh, the, the safety net that has been set for us. And so... Um, yeah, and actually I'm not even going to bother sharing the last verse, but just know that it, I'm sure this thought, the, just know the thought was so good. Oh, and I'm not going to share it. Um, no, I just think, I think that's good. I think I've said everything I want to say about this lesson. Uh, again, I hope you're, I hope everyone's doing well. And if this is just a, a final close off before my typical one, which is to say, um, again, again, I, I know I, I know you're going through something that's tremendously difficult because nine times out of 10, we're all going through something tremendously difficult that we just don't share openly and publicly. Um, I know I'm certainly that way and I'm sure you are too. 
And even if I don't know what it is or, or anything like that, I do want you to know that you do have the strength um, to overcome it. And that Heavenly Father is there willing to help you and wants to bless you. And if you are able to keep that perspective, again, perspective being the, the key word, the key buzzword of, of today, if you're able to keep that perspective in your life and, uh, and recognize that the trials you're going through right now are for your betterment and, and you can keep that hope within you, I promise you will see sunnier days and you will understand and look back with just joy of why you went through what you were going through. And, uh, and it's always easier when you have friends with you who are helping you out. So I have that complete belief and faith in you that you will be able to see better days. Thank you for inviting me to your family room discussion. What ideas, questions, or insights did you have from Doctrine and Covenants sections 121 to 123? Until we meet again, have a blessed week.